welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it is my joy to, uh, most of you know already, but to introduce Jazz Crown to you. She's speaking to us this morning as we continue our Christmas series. Jazz is our community's pastor, and she is the person really who, who, I say with me, she looks after the collective leaders in the most amazing way and has an incredible heart for those on the margins. Um, what I love most about you, Jazz, is the way that is the way that you just bring a sense of joy everywhere you go, and uh, that's a really special and precious gift. So let me just pray for you as you start, Father. Thank you for Jazz. Thank you for everything that she does, but most importantly, Lord, thank you for who she is and what she means to us and to you. Would you speak through her as she speaks to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to put this on the floor because there's not much room on my stand. Um, I've actually... What a wonderful set I get to be on today. I've actually graced the set before, 17 years ago, in this very pantomime. Yes, very exciting. I played a rat and Shirley Temple, obviously, obviously. Um, so today we are going to be talking about Christmas presents with a C. What a glorious pun that is this morning. Some would say that a good pun is its own reward. Ah. Thank you very much. I'll be here for the next 20 minutes. Um, so what Christmas presents are we focusing on today? Of course, it's Emmanuel, the Hebrew word for God with us. His presence, God's presence. So why don't you join me in reading from Matthew 1, 18 to 25, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation, but do follow along in your own Bible or just have a listen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. 
and he gave him the name Jesus. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. We see in this story that in the presence of God, Emmanuel, fear becomes hope. When we first moved to Guildford about five years ago, Mike, um, my husband down here, he played for a local football team on the odd occasion. And I was working shift work in a psychosis service at the time. And I got home to several messages on our landline telling me that Mike had hit his head playing football. And I quote, doesn't quite remember who he is or where he is. And that some of the Surrey sports park had taken him over to the hospital at the Royal Surrey. Obviously, I'm a little bit worried. So I rang Jess Ford, some of you might know her, she was going out with Ben at the time, and asked her if they would drive me to the hospital because I was a bit worried about what I would find when I got there. And they very kindly did, and we walk into A&E to find a very confused but happy Michael sat there, clutching one of those little cardboard bowls they give you in hospital in case you throw up. And he greeted us with warmth, with a mix of confusion as well. But I was relieved to learn that he was mostly fine. It was just a bit of concussion, um, and I was reassured that it would sort itself out in the next 24 hours. So feeling comforted that Mike would be fine, we were discharged after a few hours in majors and sent home. But at this point, when we got home, Mike's memory was on a one to two minute loop. Each time his memory would reset, he would have a different reaction to my explanation of how um, he'd ended up in our living room in football kit with no memory of the last 24 hours. Sometimes fear would creep across his face. Sometimes it would be oddly peaceful. And sometimes he wouldn't even ask what was going on. I could just see he was pretending he knew exactly what was happening. Neither of us had eaten at this point, and we had no food in, and I couldn't leave Mike on his own in this state, let alone take him out food shopping, so I ordered in a pizza. And we hadn't been married long, and we didn't have any furniture apart from a sofa. So when the pizza arrived, I put it on the floor, and we were sat on the sofa. Now, this time, every time Mike's memory reset, his reaction became entirely consistent. He would be sat on the sofa, and he would lean forward, and he would see the pizza box, and he would say, yes, we've got pizza. Then, every time, without fail, he would open the pizza box and say, yes, it's pepperoni. I kid you not, this was a strange loop in our lives for 30 minutes. Ready for this? In the presence of something he loved, Michael's fearful, confused reaction to his situation had become replaced by hope. The kind of hope only pepperoni can bring. But that's just the power of hope in the presence of pizza. Imagine the kind of hope the presence of God can bring. We see in this story in Matthew that in the presence of God, Emmanuel, fear becomes hope. Going back to that passage, Joseph is in a hot mess. Imagine that. 
Imagine being Joseph. He's planned his graceful exit from this sticky situation, probably feeling pretty heartbroken and confused at the same time. He's backing out quietly, and an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Don't be afraid. Mary's faithful to you. The Holy Spirit did it. You are going to raise the Son of God. What? The phrase, do not be afraid, appears 70 times in the NIV translation of the Bible. How many of us have been utterly terrified by something, crippled with fear, and have had someone tell us, don't worry, don't be afraid, you'll be fine, you can do it. It's a bit like when you're super stressed and someone says, calm down. You kind of want to poke them in the eyes. But what if that person says, don't be afraid, I'll come with you. I'll face what you're facing with you. We can do this. I've been through it all. I've been there too. And I'm not going anywhere. Suddenly, we listen a bit closer, don't we? At least I do. We feel less alone. And peace floods in. And then... What if that person who promises to stick with you, promises their presence to you through thick and thin, is God? This is Emmanuel. You see, God just didn't leave Joseph with the message of, don't be afraid, raise the Messiah, you got this, babe, bye. God designed all this to happen in such a way that the Messiah would be love incarnate. The word, the law that Joseph knew so well, the logos, the wisdom, would take on flesh. And although he asked everything of Mary and Joseph, he was there with them in the thick of it. He was and is Emmanuel. He was with them. Suddenly, Joseph's fear becomes hope when he knows the promise of the presence of Emmanuel, the promise of God's presence with him. In the presence of God, fear can become hope. And to begin to understand this, we have to know whose presence it is that we are in. We have to know that we carry it, and we have to know that we're surrounded by it to get us through. So whose presence are we in? Who is this God, and why is his presence so important? Why do we get so excited about the birth of this baby? In Isaiah 9, we read these famous words. For us for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
This God, this baby, he's the lion and the lamb. He's the servant and the king. He's the friend and the father. He's the one who became dependent that we might depend on him. He's the champion of the underdog and the king of the poor. He's the authority over the political powerhouses. He's the advocate of the destitute, the exploited and the downtrodden. The displaced refugee from the tiny nowhere town who reigns over the greatest kingdom of all. This baby is the muse of creation. He's the war cry of the peacemakers. He's the answers for us questioners, cynics and confused. He's the comfort of the rejected, the displaced and ignored. He's the innocent one that died with our guilt that we might be free. He's the one who dwelt and died outside the walls, but whose presence is found at the heart of everything. The one who endured heartbreak and darkness by pursuing weakness and joy, rejected by many and treasured by heaven, the final destination who was born on this journey, the one who became less that we might be more, the all-powerful and the most vulnerable, the ancient and the brand new and the ever-present, the tiny infant and the great I am. This is Jesus The one who solemnly, joyfully, willingly took on humanity in all its beauty and pain and mess and fear and hope and need and arrogance and yearning. Fully God and fully human. He stepped into all of this confusion and chaos that we might know his presence on the deepest, most intimate level. That we might know him in the flesh. This is whose presence we are in. And this book, the Bible, it's the book of Emmanuel. It's the book of God with us. All through it, we read of this desperation that God has to be with us. He is desperate that we are in his presence and remarkably that he is in ours. I have a bit of a weird favourite book of the Bible. Are you ready? It's Leviticus. It's full of strange, boring laws. But it's pumping. Because when we delve into it, it becomes oddly beautiful. Why? I hear you ask. Because we learn that these laws are vehicles of divine love. The lengths that God would have us go to that we might know his presence. That we would know some of the order his presence brings to our chaos. That we might know that we're not alone, wandering this planet, just walking around in circles. But that we are known and loved and created. How beautiful this collection of bizarre laws become when they are illuminated by God's love and desire for us to know his presence. He loves you. And his grand plan is that he might be with us and that you would know that you are not alone. You're not alone this Christmas and you are not alone forever. God's presence, P, 
pierces the darkness and chaos and fear becomes hope. Many of you will know that when Jesus was born, Herod the Great was king of Judea. History describes Herod as a cruel and paranoid, but politically astute leader. He made moves to retain power wherever possible, but you wouldn't want him dating your daughter, if you know what I mean. Herod's reign brought economic success to Judea. But this came at the cost of bribes and death and power gains. Political and religious tension was at an all-time high. The Jewish people were still waiting for their saviour after 400 years of silence. And they were left with a corrupt king whose allegiance was with the Roman Empire once again. It's an epic story. We know from the historian Josephus that at this time political rebels were cropping up left, right and centre, threatening the order of things again. And it's into this chaos that God chooses to reveal himself. His light pierces the darkness and the tension. And hope is born in the form of a tiny baby. The presence of Emmanuel turned fear to hope. We read of this beautiful hope in Mary's Magnificat, the song that she breaks out into when she learns that the promise is being fulfilled through her family in Luke 1. Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary sings out in hope. When we know God is with us, when we are aware of Emmanuel, fear can become hope. At the time Mary sung these words, God hadn't come through on the promise yet, but Mary still chose hope over fear. If you were here when Michael Ramsden spoke a few weeks ago, he highlighted that we're in a political and historical context that only comes around every 300 to 400 years. I watch the news at the moment and I become instantly overwhelmed. We are on the edge of something and we can't deny it. Political and social tensions are peaking. What a time to be alive. But what a time to need to be aware of Emmanuel. In order to make it all worth something, we need to embrace the hope of Emmanuel. God is with us. We need to embrace the invitation of Jesus to choose hope over fear. 
then what a time to be alive becomes what a time to be alive. It flips the narrative and it changes the story just as it did then, it can and will now. Fear becomes hope when we embrace Emmanuel and nurture his presence in our lives, just as Mary and Joseph did. Omri Nowen says this, whenever we pray with hope, we put our lives in the hands of God. Fear and anxiety fade away and everything we are deprived of is nothing but a finger pointing out in the direction of God's hidden promise. I'm going to read that again. Whenever we pray with hope, just as Mary did, we put our lives in the hands of God. Fear and anxiety fade away, and everything we are deprived of is nothing but a finger pointing out in the direction of God's hidden promise. So how do we live a life that nurtures this presence, cultivates this hope in place of fear that us and our world so desperately needs? Firstly, we need to remember that we carry God's presence. Those of you that heard Julian Adams at Kingdom Come the other week would have heard him say that God's presence is not a visitation, but it's a habitation. God didn't just show up as a baby, grow up and leave. He walked among us and died for us that we might be free from guilt and shame and then left his Holy Spirit with us that he would dwell in us and with us, that we would know Emmanuel, God with us at all times. At this time of year, it feels like emotion gets magnified, doesn't it? The good ones and the bad ones, it just feels like they all bubble up to the top. Everything just feels so, can feel so intense. The pressure of perfection, of providing, of being that perfect family in matching pajamas on Facebook, it can easily overwhelm us. Whatever you're facing this Christmas, whether it's wonderful or awful, God is with you. You carry his presence and you are surrounded by his presence. Let our fears become hope as we embrace Emmanuel. Maybe take some time to step back this Christmas and remember whose presence that you are carrying. You might not feel particularly holy or hopeful. Maybe you're a bit like me and you feel a bit scrappy on the outside and cynical on the inside. But the story of Emmanuel tells us that you are holy in the middle. You carry his presence and let that be your hope this Christmas. Secondly, we need to remember that we are surrounded by his presence. Remember, it's not a visitation. It's a habitation. We're surrounded. We are surrounded by his presence. And at first, that sounds super intense, doesn't it? 
And in a way, it is a little bit. But actually, I would suggest it's the exact opposite. We're surrounded by his presence. And how liberating is that? It means we get to relax. We're surrounded. We don't have to manufacture it or try really hard. His presence is everywhere. He came that we just get to be. And our job is to become aware of his presence. His presence can be found in all the good things that we see. Now, don't tell anyone, but the gospel makes most sense to me. I feel God's presence most strongly, not necessarily on church, in church on a Sunday. But maybe when I'm at the pub, surrounded by good friends who aren't Christians yet, or looking at a piece of art that resonates with something deeply in me, or when I'm around the dinner table with a hilarious mismatch of people who others might not consider particularly holy, when I'm reading my favorite poem, or when I allow myself to engage with some of life's big questions with a friend, or when I'm laughing at something ridiculous with my husband. And yes, of course, his presence is here on a Sunday. But the earth is his and everything in it. And this means we can find something of his presence in everything. If he is who he says he is, then his presence must permeate all things. How beautiful that we know a God whose presence permeates all things. Here's another quote from Henri Nouwen. I'm a big fan, but I do read other books, I promise. The spiritual life does not remove us from the world, but leads us deeper into it. The spiritual life does not remove us from the world, but it leads us deeper into it. His presence is not removed from the world, So neither should our spiritual lives be. The world came from his presence in the first place. His presence makes the world what it is. Leading a life that embraces Emmanuel and nurtures his presence leads us deep into the world. And we know this is true because Christ did it. The spiritual life is the pursuit of relational presence. And this took God to becoming part of an illegitimate family line, belonging to a displaced, forgotten minority 2,000 years ago in an overcrowded town, drawing the richest and the poorest and the most majestic and wise to his bedside. He couldn't have gone deeper in if he tried. And this was just his birth. He went on to live a life that embraced every part of human existence. The one we model our lives on couldn't have run deeper into the world if he tried. He dressed up in us. He took on bones and sinew and toes and intestines. God had fingernails. How run of the mill, how ordinary, but how mind-blowing that love itself had fingernails. Jesus' presence is not a cultural myth that we whip out at Christmas time, 
but it's gritty and sweet and real and kind. Love became flesh that his presence would inhabit all things. Love became skin and bones that we might learn again what it is to walk alongside the creator, that his presence might inhabit all things, that his presence would inhabit us, and that his life here on earth would teach us how to nurture that presence that our fear might become hope. His presence is grounded and it grounds us. Since the beginning of time, God has pursued a life with us that we would know whose we are and who we are. Brennan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel and several other brilliant books, describes praying a simple grounding prayer every morning. He describes breathing in for two and then out for five. And as he breathes in, he prays, Abba, Father. And as he breathes out, he prays, I belong to you. And he repeats on this and he meditates on it. Abba, Father, I belong to you. I love this, and I often pray it when I'm stressed or overwhelmed or need reminding of who I am and whose I am. Fearful thoughts are turned into hopeful ones when I remind myself of whom I belong and that his presence surrounds me and dwells in me. So this week, as we get closer to Christmas, as our emotions get magnified, as everything feels more intense and more extreme, let's step back and be mindful of his presence. Let's be mindful of whose presence it is that we carry and allow it to permeate from us into the world around us. Let's remember that we carry and are surrounded by the presence of love incarnate, even when we don't feel so holy. Let's stop and take the time to capture those fearful, anxious thoughts. Remember who we are and whose we are and what we carry and allow hope to break out just as it did in a tiny town 2,000 years ago. Let's stop and take time to notice him and embrace Emmanuel in everything around us. You'll find something of him, I promise. His presence, Emmanuel, God with us, means our fears can become hope. So let's endeavor to give away a bit of this Christmas presence, just as he gave to us.